Hey everyone, I'm Emily. And I'm Maria, and this is the Open Plan Podcast. We're excited to have you here. Join us in navigating life and architecture as young professionals tackling career, education, social lives, and everything in between. Keep up with us on Instagram at Open Plan Podcast. So now let's get into it. Hey everyone, welcome back to Open Plan Podcast. I'm your host, Emily, and today I'm going to be doing a solo episode. Um, missing my co-host Maria, who typically hosts the podcast with me. But today it's going to be just me talking all about construction evaluation and doing one of our classic ARE episodes. Super informational. I'm going to have a breakdown of all the sections we're going to cover in the show notes. So if you're here for that content, feel free to skip ahead. But in the meantime, just wanted to do a quick catch up. We are in the midst of a cold February day over here in Philly, um, but cozy and have already had a really nice uh, morning walk with my sister-in-law to grab coffee. So love that and figured today is the day to record this episode. Um, Honestly, I've had it edited or not. I'm sorry, not edited. I've had it scripted for a while. But just like mentally bracing myself to talk about this subject is a lot. (laughs) While I have already passed all my exams, so if you're new here, I passed back in August. Yeah, so I guess six months, which is pretty crazy. But it still is very very fresh and raw to me, (laughs) the studying process. So don't feel like I can't relate. It literally feels like yesterday that I was studying for this exam. So... One thing I did as I was taking this was take very thorough notes on what I was studying, what worked for me, what allowed me to pass. Um, So hopefully this episode is helpful for you guys who are about to take CE, um, whether it's your first time or a second try. A little backstory, I did not pass CE my first time. I went in thinking it was a very different exam than what it was, (laughs) and I'll get into this a little bit later, but it's a little bit of a wild card of an exam. And I think purely like objectively has the highest pass rate. So when I saw that, I was like, wow, (laughs) like that's embarrassing that I failed the exam that has like the highest pass rate. But um, I think it's a very common exam to fail. And first off, don't let that arbitrary number get to you. I don't know why it let me but you will get it eventually, and I managed to pass it the second time. So without further ado, I'm going to dive into CE, first starting out with the breakdown of the exam, um, then getting into the sections and content of the exam, and then if you stick around for the end, I'm going to talk about kind of like miscellaneous tips, my study materials, and then just kind of some like test-taking strategies that worked for me. Hi everyone, Emily here. I'm so excited to talk about our partnership with Deskrits. Deskrits is truly the insider's guide to the ARE. Made by two young architects who recently passed their exams, the book breaks down all six exams into topic outlines and reading lists with specific pages to study from outside resources. For me, the hardest part of the ARE was figuring out what to study. I've used Deskrits personally as a study guide for my last four exams and couldn't recommend it enough. It's easy to follow, graphically pleasing, which is very important to us design people, and it's very thorough, not vague at all. My personal favorite are the Deskrit study sheets that cover objectives of each test in a super manageable way. 
The sheets only cover key topics, so you don't have to worry about sifting through any excess fluff. If you're interested, go to deskgrids.com and use code OPP15 for 15% off. Happy studying! So CE has five sections. I'm going to start off with pre-construction activities, talk about what that is and maybe what a typical test question would look like. Um, So pre-construction activities basically means interpreting the entire architect's roles and responsibilities during pre-construction based on the delivery method of the project. So what's delivery method? Delivery method means whether the project is a design bid build, which is a very traditional kind of format. Um, You'll see that in government projects. You'll see it in, you know, residential that basically the architect is designing, then they go through a process called bidding. Um, Not necessarily the architect, but the architect helps the owner go through a process called bidding, where the owner takes the design the architect has created and bids it out to a contractor. The contractor is its own entity and has their own relationship with the owner. Um, And actually the owner and architect work together on one contract and then the owner and contractor have their own contract so the architect doesn't really have a direct tie to the contractor we're really just acting as an agent on behalf of the owner so when we say we're assisting the owner with bidding we're really just helping them vet out contractors um, and we don't really have a direct relationship with the contractor so we're basically just kind of like looking out for the owner high level Um, So it's really important to know the key elements of bidding. So a lot of this includes what are the required documents for bidding. There's a whole set of paperwork that um, goes into that kind of process. Um, What are the typical procedures? Um, And also what contracts goes into the bidding. And I'll get a little bit more specific on the exact names of those contracts in a little bit. But going back to um, the architect's responsibilities Um, with bidding based on the project type we kind of briefly talked about design bid build so in that process the architect is very involved with bidding because the contractor has not been bid on or picked yet but that's very different in a delivery type like design build where the contractor in this delivery has already been selected from the very beginning so in design build architect and contractor actually work together from day one Um, and this has a lot of pros and cons to it if you've already um, studied for practice management and project management I'm sure all this sounds very familiar to you but in this relationship there actually is no bidding process because the contractor has already been selected from day one and is working hand in hand with the architect so that whole phase of the project doesn't really come into play so that in itself would be a test question and be like um, in which of these project delivery methods is architect extremely involved in bidding and you immediately would be able to cross out design build you would be able to really look at design bid build as the correct question or i'm sorry the correct answer so another thing for pre-construction activities is analyzing the criteria for selecting contractors some important things when selecting contractors are what's their reputation have they done similar project types And if so, what is the quality of their work? This is gonna be seen in a test question, like choose a contractor based on, you know, a certain amount of criteria that would be the right right fit for a healthcare project. 
and the test would probably provide you with materials like past experience, uh, past projects the contractor has worked on, whether there's hospitals involved in that, what their availability looks like, and what the timeline of this project is. So they really want you, like, this is something that would happen in the real world, to pick a contractor based on their experience, and they're going to provide that experience and really choose the right person for the job. And you would usually, in the real world, evaluate this with the owner and then make a recommendation on the right contractor to go with. So the next aspect of pre-construction is analyzing aspects of the contractor design to adjust project costs. So as always, cost is always a huge driver in a project. You are going to find yourself at the end of design um, doing almost an evaluation or a value engineering on cutting costs of the project. If the owner is like, I can't pay that or that's above our budget what can we do to reduce it so a lot of times you can reduce things like the the scope of the project the quality or the schedule so how can you reduce the cost you could do things like decide to swap out a carpet type and save money versus something that has a bigger impact Um, a lot of times you'll pick and choose elements that the owner cares less about to save money rather than something that's going to make a bigger impact, like getting rid of an entire bathroom or something that's in the program. So in the test questions, you're most likely when they're going to say, what are ways to cut costs? You're going to avoid the question or the answers that are more scope related. So things that would most likely mean more to the owner than, for example, swapping out um, a floor that has a similar look but is cheaper. Um, So you would always want to go more aesthetically, depending on the question and what the goals of the owner is, of course, but swapping out a material is usually going to be the way to go to save money versus like cutting out a program element or something that the owner really prioritizes. So now I'm going to do a sample test question for pre-construction activities. And this is taken directly from the NCARB handbook. So I'm going to read out the question, the answer selections, and then if you want to pause it and take a stab at it, um, I would suggest doing that. The best way to retain information for me is to actually take a stab at it, even if I don't know what the answers are. Um, So I'm going to leave that up to you. But the test question is, which of the following should the contractor submit to the owner through the architect during the pre-construction phase of a traditional design build project? Select three. A, certificates of required insurance, B, schedule of values, C, product submittals for long lead time items, D, application for first payment, E, list of proposed subcontractors, and F, lien releases from subcontractors. Now this is your time to pause. (laughs) All right, so the correct answers are A, certificates of required insurance, B, schedule of values, and E, list of proposed subcontractors. These are the three items the contractor is required to submit prior to construction. Product submittals was one of the answers, and that's not going to be correct because product submittals can't be submitted until a list of subcontractors are approved and subcontracts are awarded. So basically, product submittals doesn't really happen until much later in the construction administration process when construction has actually started and we're not there yet. And finally, F, lien releases from subcontractors was not correct because those are not required until before the final payment 
um, to the contractor, which we had mentioned no payments have been done during the bidding process, so you can eliminate that one. All right, moving on to section number two of construction and evaluation is construction observation. And this section addresses visiting the job site throughout the course of construction and the architect's roles and responsibilities while on the job site. So one big part of this section is you must know the difference between the architect's design intent and the contractor's means and methods. So one rule of thumb is never interfere with how a contractor does something. It's not an architect's job to evaluate the means of how they're doing the work, but rather the design. So always differentiate whether architect steps in to comment on what the contractor is doing. It's never going to be like, don't use that hammer, don't use that nail, don't, you know, install this a certain way. That's a means and method issue. But where you can step in is where something is deviating from the contract drawings and the contractor is doing something that does not follow that. But as a means and methods, no, do not (laughs) get involved with that. And that's going to be something you're going to see on this exam a lot. It's going to be whether whether the architect is going to step in for into something or not. So that kind of comes back to architect's roles and responsibilities on the job site. You're going to also have to recognize a lot of job site photos, things that are deviating from the design, things that look off. And this is actually the section that I failed because I did not have a lot of a uh, construction administration experience at the time when I took this. So when I saw a lot of these construction photos, I panicked and didn't know what I was looking at. Um, it seemed a little bit too technical for me at that point. So I only studied PCM and PJM. So I'm going to get to address like how to study um, exactly this section um, a little bit later during the study portion of this. But outside of just looking at job site photos and kind of doing a pick and choose of very technical items in this section, there is still a lot of admin roles that fall into this. So you need to recognize the contractor's responsibilities to the architect. So that includes change orders, applications for payments, shop drawings, other submittals. These are like applications that, or I'm sorry, these are forms that you should be familiar with. And if you have them in your firm, I highly recommend looking at what change orders look like, what applications of payments look like, because these are things you're going to have to interpret on the exam as well. So third section of CE is administrative procedures and protocols. And this section is all about the documentation necessary to the construction process. So the communication part of the construction process is really important and an essential aspect of the whole kind of workflow, how information is exchanged. So a big um, procedure that you'll see is change orders versus construction change directives. And that's something you're going to see on the exam where they're going to say whether this is like, is this going to be called a change order or a CCD, which is a construction change directive. Change orders are when the contractor, the architect, and the owner are all agreeing upon a certain change in the cost of it. Other administrative procedures and protocols you'll need to know are evaluating submittals. So that includes shop drawings, samples, mock-ups, product data, and test results. And you're also going to have to evaluate the contractor's application for payment. So one thing that a contractor does is when they've completed a portion of the work, they submit an application for payment. 
what you're going to do is have to look at the work they've completed and whether this lines up with their application. Their application will have line items of things they've completed and it's up to you to see whether they've actually done that or not. And the item will say how much percent is left of it, whether they've totally completed that item or not. Um, So that's something the architect has to evaluate and sign off on and then send to the owner. So as always, you're acting as an agent for the owner, looking out for the owner. Is a contractor asking for payment for something they actually haven't done? That's something you're going to have to kind of juggle during this during this uh, phase of design. And finally, the fourth section is project closeout and evaluation. So this is when you apply procedural concepts to complete the closeout of the project. So that's basically when construction is nearing nearing the end. And it's up to architect to identify if the work can be labeled as ready for substantial completion. And substantial completion is a very important phrase for people to understand and for something the test loves to kind of put into questions, whether is this ready for substantial completion? And um, substantial completion in a very kind of layman term is, is the building safe to occupy? Is the building substantially complete enough? You know, not all the bells and whistles in, but is it ready for the owner to move in and is it functioning? So I'm going to do an example test question for that right now. So the question is, which of the following must be completed before the issue of certificate of substantial completion can be done by the architect? Answer choices are paint touch up on wall, replace light bulb and kitchen fixture, missing window screen, and bathtub doesn't drain? The answer is bathtub doesn't drain. That needs to be addressed before the owner can move in because this prevents the full use of the building. The other selections I I had named, paint touch-up, light bulb missing, adding a window screen, those are very much aesthetic and things that aren't going to prohibit the owner from using the building, whereas this bathtub doesn't draining is more of a functioning, problematic issue that needs to be addressed before moving. All right, so now I'm going to get into the very nitty-gritty of content you should be looking at, study material that's important. Um, Number one being AI contract documents. This exam really, really hammers on specific contract documents that you'll see in the handbook. Refer to that for which exact um, contracts you should be studying. But I can tell you right away, A201 is very important for this exam. So this is owner and contractor. And of course, B0101 for owner architect. Other important forms to know are A701, C401, A305, and then finally the G700 series. So that's when you're going to see a lot of forms and it's not necessarily like reading like a full-on multiple page document like A201 and B101. The G series is very much one pagers, so don't be intimidated, but you'll see things like a change order form, construction change directive form, application for payment. Those are all in the G series, and it's really important you memorize all of that. So it goes all the way from 701 to 716. So take a look at that. And by knowing these contracts well, I mean be familiar with who is responsible for what in different everyday situations. So know how long a contractor is responsible to correct the work. And right directly from the contract, it's actually one year from substantial completion. The contractor is tied to coming back and correcting the work without any additional cost to the owner. And another one would be how long can the owner request a meeting with the architect to review facility operations and performance at no additional cost? 
And that is also one year from the date of substantial completion. And that is taken directly from the contract. So things like that are going to come up in the test. They're going to say, how long is this? And you're going to kind of have to not necessarily memorize these timelines, but I think it's better to have an understanding that, yes, the contractor and architect are still tied to a project even after substantial completion. Outside of contract documents and talking more so of these administrative forms that we talked about, change orders, CCDs, payment applications, know exactly how the flow of this information goes between parties. So who prepares the form and then who creates certain actions? So whether it's a submittal, RFI, who is creating the form, what person does it go to next? What is this flow between the parties? That's going to be really important in the test. Another thing going back to RFIs or requests for information and submittals, if you have no CA experience, spend some time looking through some RFIs and submittals for a project in your office and note how the architect and project rep responds to them. If possible, badger that person with questions to help you understand how they comment on RFIs and submittals and how their language goes because something the test likes to test on is like a real life example of an RFI or a submittal and you're going to have to agree that this the submittal is approved or not. So that's something you can really look to in your real life office um, and how that workflow goes. Another miscellaneous tip is memorize the CSI master format sections. So that's, you know, section, I mean, I'm sorry, division 01 all the way up to division 20, I think is what I memorized. But something that you can do with flashcards, but you want to get kind of those quick memorization questions, like as like an easy, as an easy point. So I highly recommend doing that. And Quizlet is also great uh, to have flashcards done for that already if you didn't want to create them yourself. And then going back to construction observation and things that really helped me pass that exam, I mean, I'm sorry, that portion of the exam, which is the area I actually failed. And if you look at my score report, I passed every other section of the five I, we had talked about so far in this episode, just construction observation royally failed that section. <laughs> so things for that section, because it is a big one that I wasn't ready for was all the technical questions. So to address that, um, highly recommend looking at Building Construction Illustrated, specifically chapters three, five, and seven. And those chapters are really gonna kind of focus in on moisture control, waterproofing, excavation, really know your waterproofing. If there's one thing I would hammer on anyone taking this test, big focus on waterproofing. Make sure you're familiar with flashing types and locations, where we poles go, be familiar with wall type construction, um, with an emphasis on curtain walls. Um, and a lot of this is going to be really based on what test you get. So I would take my advice with a grain of salt, like, oh, I didn't get this curtain wall question, Emily, like, <laughs> way to go. But I will say it's not going to vary too much. You might not get a curtain wall wall type, you might get a masonry wall type. But in general, kind of know that sandwich of what a typical wall type assembly is. And this is all stuff you could see in Building Construction Illustrated. Um, and my best study tactic was really just redrawing these sections and labeling them yourself. Cannot recommend doing that enough. It really cements the different parts and pieces of a wall by labeling it yourself. Try not to look at the book. 
um, the first time, yes, go ahead and copy all of it, but really quiz yourself on the different parts because that's going to be a very common question type where you're really just dragging and dropping what the different components of a wall are. And if you're still struggling with details and wall sections and things a little bit more technical, I highly recommend looking at YouTube videos of how buildings go together. There are a lot of really great playlists on YouTube now with just focus on CE. Um, RMSM Studio has a really great playlist. Shout out to her. I watch a lot of those videos. Another resource is Hammer in Hand website. So highly recommend checking out those if you are still struggling. And then finally getting to some other study materials. HPP is still a player in this exam, not as exhaustively as practice management or project management. Um, but there is still some valuable content that NCARB directly takes information from. So primary resource, do not skip out on those. I'm going to be linking a PDF of exact sections to review for CE. Another thing outside primary um, resources are secondary resources that I used. So for that, highly recommend Ballast CE sections. Um, and I think we've talked about this in other episodes, take Ballast content with a grain of salt also because sometimes I feel like they really go into the weeds and give a lot of excess information that you don't need. They have great practice questions kind of peppered in um, after reading a section. They'll have questions. Um, I think that is my favorite part about Ballast is the quality of their practice questions. Another study material I highly recommend and I honestly think this was a game changer for me in passing the exam the second time, and this was Hyperfine. Um, and Hyperfine, I think we've talked about in other episodes, is a study prep material that's kind of in the format of homework assignments. So he'll have like week-long study plans and assignment, I think seven assignments a week. So you do one per day. So I would actually fly through this a little faster. I would do probably like two to three assignments a day. So you could definitely get through this faster than four weeks. Um, but the, I really, really like appreciated the references he used. He linked to a lot of online resources, resources in his PDFs. So you can actually click on the hyperlinks, like as you were doing the assignment and amazing resources. And one thing he did was really help out the construction portion of the exam. He had that as a focus on his assignment. So that, that helped a lot. The other thing that really helped me pass, I think, the second time are Black Spectacles practice exams. Their practice exams, to me, are one of the closest to the exam content-wise. I would actually venture to say a little bit more difficult than the actual exam, so don't panic if you're not scoring amazingly. <laughs> and I think I've been very transparent that I didn't pass, I mean, I'm sorry, I didn't pass any of my practice exams technically, and I still passed the real exam. So really use them as a study material and don't get in your head about your score. So Black Spectacles practice exams had a lot of construction observation material that I think I was previously missing when I first studied for this test. So highly recommend looking at them for practice exams. You know, I'm not preaching to spend a lot of money because you could really just keep buying and buying in this NCARB world, which I hate, honestly, that, you know, it could be a money pit. So pick and choose, you know, I don't think you need a bajillion second, second party resources. You know, if you want to pick one uh, source to get great practice exams for, I would say either Amber Book or Black Spectacles. And then finally, Desk Crits, which 
you know, is really the framework of how I would study and where I would, you know, look at what ballast sections to focus on, what part of building construction illustrated. All this stuff I've kind of peppered into this episode really came from looking at the Descris framework. And of course, I adjusted it to my own schedule, what resources I had on hand. Um, and Hyperfine, I like kind of threw in myself. But I always recommend looking at Descrits as a nice place to start if you don't know where to start. All right, now I'm going to kind of end the episode with just random tips that really worked for me. Um, and this is more of like testing strategy, I guess, mental strategies. Number one being, do not second guess yourself and change your questions last minute. <laughs> I cannot uh, stress this enough. I think I was very guilty of doing this the first time I took CE or, or honestly, whenever I failed a test, I would always kick myself because like I would go back and really think about like I changed so many of my answers and they were probably right the first time. I don't know if there is like a this is like a study backed thing, but I think your first gut answer is usually the right one. So unless you really, really want to change it, like you actually have like a resource or something you saw that actually confirms that, oh, you actually chose a wrong answer, then change it. But otherwise, I would really try to avoid doing that. Another tip, do not panic if you see a question that seems out of left field. Um, CE is very notorious for this. You know, it's going to have a lot of those technical construction questions or even stuff you might see on PPD or PDD. Don't panic. Just try to remember it's going to be most likely a one-off and the majority of the test is really going to be stuff you know, the contracts, um, the procedures, things that's in our study resources. So try to get out of your head and move on and stay positive. I know it's so disheartening to, you know, I was just talking about this with a friend to have a question you don't know in the first couple questions is so disheartening because it kind of like sets the tone for the rest of your test. So believe me, that's happened to me. But even if you see a first question, a second question on your exam that you're like, I don't know this, try to get out of your head and be like, this is just the beginning. There's plenty of chances for you to make up for that. All right, everyone. So that was the CE episode. I hope you found it useful. I know it's very information packed and even now I'm like catching my breath because <laughs> there's a lot of info to just spew on you guys. Um, I actually really enjoy doing these ARE episodes weirdly. <laughs> I want to share the resources that worked for me and I want to get more people licensed in a realistic affordable way. Um, so yeah hopefully that helps and that's really the goal of our podcast to create more transparency no gatekeeping over here <laughs> we are open books thanks for listening as always and you can follow us at open plan podcast on instagram and um, as always listen to your podcast on spotify apple or wherever you listen thank you so much for listening and i'll catch you guys in the next one bye <laughs>